Welcome to Enneagram Plus Yoga, a podcast for the body, heart, and mind. And we have with us today, Abby Robbins. Abby is a certified Enneagram teacher, also a certified yoga teacher. Abby has written a book called The Conscious Enneagram. The book is terrific. I've read it, highly recommend it. The book is about the importance of having a practice, a lineage, and a community. And Abby is going to explain that to us in the interview. But this is just such a great episode. It's the first of several with Abby. And I just hope that you will check out Abby's great work. In addition to the book, there's a podcast called Conscious Construction. And the website for Abby Robbins is ConsciousEnneagram.com. So check Abby out. I know you're going to love this podcast. Thanks for joining us. Welcome, Abby, to Enneagram Plus Yoga. Love it. (laughs) These are two things that are very close to your heart, right? I mean, yeah, this is basically where like all of my work sits is like the intersection of these two systems. Right, 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 right. And you wrote a book uh, that where you talk about yoga and Enneagram. Can you tell our listeners the name of your book? Yeah, The Conscious Enneagram. Is and I've read it and it's amazing. I loved it. <laughs> so um, The Conscious Enneagram, and we'll talk more about that throughout this interview because we're actually going to quote your book several times as we look at the the perspective of all nine numbers about the topic of community. But we wanted to start with a few questions uh, just to get to know you and for our listeners to understand you. So I know you're certified in the Enneagram Mm -hmm. narrative tradition. So can you tell us a little bit about how you stumbled upon the Enneagram and then tell us a little bit about the unique uh, narrative tradition of the Enneagram, what that's all about, because some of our listeners may have never even heard of the narrative Enneagram. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, I stumbled upon the Enneagram uh, at a time when my life was uh, utterly falling apart. Um, Like most people, I feel like that's a pretty common story. Like uh, things had kind of crumbled around me and in attempts to uh, find my way out of the mess, um, a very dear friend of mine kind of offered me this helping hand in, in the form of the Enneagram. Uh, he did, he did type me right away. Um, and he was right. He was very, very right. Um, and I was a little resistant to it at first. Like I was like, you don't know me, you don't know my life, you know, whatever. Um, and he was, he was consistent and he was very kind about it. And he like offered me some, some books and some audio tapes. And the more that I uh, learned and the more that I listened and read, uh, the more I like had to admit that he was totally right. And that, uh, I I was an eight and these were all of the reasons that my life had fallen apart. It was just like, Oh, it's like, somebody has been watching me as, uh, (laughs) as I go through this, like very traumatic and, um, painful time. It was like, Oh, 
okay, well, I think that makes me feel a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I stumbled into it. Um, geez, it must've been 2013 at that time. Um, and I was kind of just a, a, you know, a casual user at first. And I ended up moving to Austin and there's a surprisingly vibrant community here uh, mm -hmm. in Austin. There were at the time, this was pre-pandemic, there were I think five or six different meetups a month happening that you could go to where you could like connect with other people um, who spoke the same language and, and talk about the things that were coming up for you. Um, and so that's really where, you know, I had been using it kind of personally and individually for a couple of years at that point. And then getting into this community, it was like, things really started to, to blossom and grow and not just like with my understanding, but also, um, how I was able to like apply it in my life. And, um, two of the people who were kind of the, the founders and the leaders of the community, um, or the, the main community that I was a part of were trained in the narrative tradition. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's where, I heard about this like particular way of working with the Enneagram and it, it really, really resonated with me. And that's why I chose to like go forward and get my certification through the narrative Enneagram instead of the Enneagram Institute or Suzanne Stabile or any of the other like more prominent um, like uh, certification mm -hmm. schools or whatever. I don't know if you would call it an Enneagram school, but that's what it felt like. Uh, yeah. And the, the big difference um, with the narrative is that it is, it's focused on personal experience. So there are teachers, right, who've been doing this work, um, you know, in their personal lives and their relationships, um, but also as their actual work for 30 plus years. Um, and they teach and they share about what they know, but the really beautiful thing that the narrative does um, and really kind of bases a lot of their teaching on is um, the panel system, which is essentially uh, getting people up, um, you know, getting everybody of, of a same type um, up on a stage together and have them share from their personal experiences, um, you know, what it looks like, sounds like, and feels like to be their type. Um, and wow, you get a really... Uh, a really like beautifully clear um, and also very nuanced picture of what it means to be that type and to experience that type and to work with that type and be in relationship with that type. Um, you know, it's like you can see all the diversity that that's there, like the way the different ways that even two people of the same type um, could be responding to a similar situation but you get this really crystal clear picture of like that, that line that ties it all together. Like, oh, this is really where all of these things are stemming from, even though the reaction might look slightly different. Um, and so my, my training with the narrative, um, again, I did it pre-pandemic. And at that time, um, they, I think they only offered it in person. They didn't have any online um, uh, didn't have any online options for certification. I think they had online like learning groups. And so I went to California for like three weeks. Um, and I was there the whole time, just like, I think it was like 8am to 8pm, 
just doing Enneagram. Like for like three, it was super intense. And I realized that like my type definitely came out and how I was like trying to go about the certification. Um, But you didn't have to do it that way. You could like spread out the sessions, (laughs) but I was like, no, I'm going to get it all done now. Um, But it was such an awesome experience to to be there and be in that space and to be with the teachers. Um, There were a few other folks who did the whole thing, you know, the whole enchilada all at once um, with me. And, uh, you know, I'm a big proponent of like certifications and really like knowing your stuff and having the credentials to back up, you know, your lived experience, um, you know, to have those credentials, but also there's something about the the schooling and the training process, you make a lot of really powerful relationships. Um, and so, you know, there are people that I met at that training that are just kind of like always going to be like right here in my heart, um, just because of what we did together. Yeah. Well, and that's interesting because that's two parts of your book that you've just talked about lineage and community, right? (laughs) That you enjoyed the communal aspect and then also just having a place where these are your mentors these are your people this is the group that you can learn from and I love the word nuanced um, when you're talking about the panels and how that does give you a nuanced picture of each of the nine numbers and that you know our subtypes influence how we look our wings our unique thumbprint of who we are culture all the different things there's so many pieces that make up who we are and so I do love that part of the narrative tradition I'm not certified in that tradition but I deeply respect it and I'm glad that um, you gave us a great description of that Uh, so thank you yeah of course yeah, I love listening to you, Abby, talk about your training. It sounded a lot like yoga teacher training for those who are listening, you know, like mm-hmm. the connection. So you can train in different lineages, whichever one you want, or kind of be a generalist. But the connections that you do make, you remember those people, whether you stay in touch or not with them. It's just something that you're going through that experience that just just connects you. Mm-hmm. for, for a really long time speaking of yoga so I know not only are you a certified Enneagram teacher you're also a certified yoga teacher so um, talk to us a little bit about your yoga journey and specifically how do you find Enneagram and yoga intersecting yeah um, well I mean it's funny so I found yoga um, at that same time in my life where everything had fallen apart and uh, <laughs> I had a friend of mine showed me the Enneagram um, he was part of the the small yoga community that I was a part of. So I was, um, it's really, it's kind of a bizarre story. I, I moved from a big city. I moved from Denver, Colorado to a really small town in Northwest Arkansas. Um, and there just so happened to be a, um, a small yoga studio in a woman's backyard. And there, a friend of mine was like, let's go try it out. Um, you know, the woman was, a, you know, a regular at the coffee shop that I worked at. Um, she later became like a very, very dear friend of mine um, through the process of like being taught by her and engaging with yoga. And so I started um, with what she taught, which was Baptiste power yoga. So like ah. at 95 degrees, uh, you know, a certain set of postures that you can kind of mix and match to choose from, but the general flow is, is almost always the same. Um, 
and like truly maybe one of the most intense uh, forms of yoga you can do. Um, so of course, again, my type is showing. Um, I was like, oh, I love this. This is what I want to do. Um, and I went from like never having done it before to like in the studio seven, eight times a week, like there in the morning and there in the evening. Um, and so it really had a, a deeply profound effect on me, like what I was going through, you know, uh, with the whole like life crumbling around you, like it's very fertile soil for these sorts of practices. And so it really, um, it connected with me in a, in a really deep way. Um, and my teacher, Lori saw that and she was like, you should, you should consider being a teacher. Like, this is clearly like, I remember very distinctly, like her approaching me after class. And she was like, I don't do teacher training, but there's someone in the next town over who does, who used to be my student. Um, you should really think about doing it because it's clear that this is, this is doing something for you. And I was like, okay. And I looked into it and I got it worked out. Um, and so I did my 200 hour teacher training um, in Northwest Arkansas. And then I was just like, I couldn't get enough. I was trying to teach as much as I possibly could all the time, all these group classes and things. Um, and when I moved to Austin, I, I was keeping that up. I was still teaching. That was really what I was like trying to, to do as my career. And I, um, I realized in a bigger city, that's a lot harder to do. <laughs> um, just the, like, you know, the, the, the economics of it were very, very different. And so I was kind of, um, unpleasantly surprised about that. And I decided that, um, I really needed to, I really needed to find a way to like make this like a, a, a viable career. Um, and that's where I learned about yoga therapy. So, um, mm -hmm. not only am I a certified yoga teacher, right. I've done my 200 hour, I've done my 500 hour. Um, I'm also a yoga therapist, which, um, for, for listeners who don't know, um, yoga therapists are people who are specifically trained to work one-on-one -on -one with people, um, dealing with basically everything from physical to psycho-emotional issues, um, using the tools of yoga. Um, so it's a, a system called Vini Yoga, which is much smaller and much more gentle than uh, where I had come from, from the bad Baptiste lineage. Mm -hmm. um, and going through that process, you know, a standard, it takes 200 hours of training to be a yoga teacher. Um, and then you can get an advanced certification with 500 hours. Um, but a yoga therapist has over a thousand hours of training. Um, so it's, a, it's a, it's a much more intense process of training. Um, mm -hmm. and also because you're, we're trained to deal with much more sensitive issues in a much more direct way. Um, and so that's really what spawned, um, you know, that piece was really wanting a career out of it and something that could really support me and my family. And it was actually my wife who, um, you know, she, I told her about the Enneagram when we first started dating and she was not super into it at the time. She was kind of in her life crumbling phase and was like, that's a little too real. I'm going to come back to that later. <laughs> Uh, but she finally made her way back around and she was actually the one that suggested that I teach yoga and the Enneagram together. Um, she was the first one that was like, you should do that. People would like it. And I was like, that's ridiculous. Nobody knows what the Enneagram is. There's <laughs> no way like, you know, I was, I was in yoga therapy school and I was trying to do these workshops and trainings and all these other things and like teaching things. And 
presenting stuff and nothing was working. It was just like, you know, I'd have a, a workshop and three people would show up and like, that's great, but it's not going to pay the bills sort of thing. And she's like, no, like, seriously, the people are going to like this. And I was like, mm, I disagree, but I'll do it because you're asking me to. And like totally sold out the first workshop that I ever did with yoga and the Enneagram. Um, and it just kind of like blossomed from there. But when I think about like the connections between the two, like, because they both kind of entered my life at the same time, like, it's really hard for me to imagine them separate, right? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. um, what I was able to like see and cultivate in myself through these practices, this yoga, this movement, meditation, breath work, right? Um, it was like, I, I have this ability to cultivate these things, but the Enneagram was what was kind of leading me down the right path. Um, the way that I often think about it is that like the Enneagram is the map. It's showing you the landscape. It's showing you where you're starting and it's showing you where you need to go. Um, but but yoga, this these tools and this system is really like how you get from point A to point B, right? Like it's the car that you're going to drive or it's the bike you're going to ride to get over there um, because it's all fine and good to have a map. But if you're not actually taking steps to get there, it's, it's just a pretty piece of artwork. Um, and like, conversely, if you're trying to go on a journey without a map, um, I mean, it can still be done, but it's going to take you a lot longer, um, could po potentially be a lot more dangerous. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. um, so I, that's how I've always blended these two things together. And it really, um, because of how it like came into my life, like both of these at the same time, like there wasn't ever a time where I was using one without the other. Um, and so for me, it's just been a very natural um, kind of collaboration to make with these two things. Like I, you know, people who teach the yoga, teach the Enneagram without these sorts of practices or these sorts of things. I'm just like, I don't, I'm, I'm not really sure how that works. Like, I don't, <laughs> not to say that it can't be done, but I'm like, where, how do we get how do we get boots on the ground with all of this information? You know, how do we move from the head center into the body? Um, again, my type is showing I'm an eight. I lead with the body. That's a big thing for me. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's how I, I, that's how I've always like conceptualized them. That's how I use them in my private practice. And when I, you know, teach larger classes, um, you know, none of this information that we get from the Enneagram, um, it can't do anything if we don't have the right tools to take action around it. Um, and, and I think that, I mean, yoga is a, a beautifully elegant system um, that is very fine tuned for this exact kind of journey. Um, yeah. So that's what I do. And I really like it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. I love yeah. that. Abby, I love that you started out in the Baptiste tradition and then you transitioned to the Vinny yoga tradition. Um, because to me, the Baptiste tradition is so eight-like and the Vinny yoga was giving you that softening that you need as an eight. So I love that. But let's dive into another question. And the question is, um, tell me a little bit about how you use 
the Enneagram to understand others in your life, mm. particularly as an eight. So knowing what you know about yourself as an eight. Tell me about how that informs your relationship with your wife and with your children and with friends. Tell yeah. Um, you know, I, I often say, and, and my wife would concur that like, if we didn't have the Enneagram, like we would not have made it. We would not still be together. We would never have gotten married. Um, the, the language that it provided us, right. We're, we're very different people. I'm an eight. My wife is a four. Um, we're, we're, we're very different people, but we're both incredibly intense, um, which you could imagine that could, that can definitely create a lot of conflict. Um, and in some ways we're both pretty comfortable with that, but, um, it took us a long time to like really appreciate each other more. And I think that wouldn't have been possible without the Enneagram. Like the Enneagram gives you language for, it gave us language for what we were both seeing in ourselves and what we were seeing in each other uh, mm -hmm. that really depersonalized things right so it was like I could talk about the you know kind of weaponized melancholy of the four and the push-pull dynamic um, in a way that that wasn't condemning this person that I really loved um, mm -hmm. but still didn't you know, didn't like let these things that were kind of problematic and causing issues in our relationship, we didn't let them slide. And, mm -hmm. and the same thing was true for, you know, how she could see me and my, um, you know, my intensity and my, you know, drive and my kind of bullheadedness and all of these things, right? Like she can point those things out in me without me feeling like, attacked or defensive, right? It's like, no, th this is just a function of type, right? This isn't who I, this isn't who I am at my core. Um, but it allows us both to see each other more clearly um, and support each other in our growth, right? There are things that like I have to work on all the time. And there are things that she has to work on all the time. Um, but like, we can call those out without it being, um, without it being quite so much of a big deal um, mm -hmm. where, you know, it can, those kind of like conversations can be really challenging um, if you don't have this kind of um, language that depersonalizes things, right? Because otherwise it's an attack on you or it's an attack on me, mm -hmm. um, which then causes defensiveness, which then causes, you know, just like total shutdown of communication. Um, so I think that's a really big piece of like how that's played out for us in our relationship, when, when I think about how the Enneagram has kind of supported me um, in other relationships, there are a lot of relationships in my life where the other party does not know the Enneagram. Um, mm -hmm. And I think for those of us who love this tool and want to use it, that's the majority of the people in our lives, right? Like not everybody jumps on the bandwagon. Um, I feel really fortunate that my wife did. Um, because it, things would have been a lot harder if that were not the case. Mm -hmm. um, but I think what's interesting about working in relationships where only one party knows the Enneagram, where, where I'm the only one who knows um, it. And, and I tell this to my clients often as well, that like, if, if you're the one with the tool, 
it's your responsibility to use it. Um, and so for me, what that looks like is like, you know, I think about with my kids, we operate on like some educated guesses of what our children could be as far as type goes. Um, and when they get old enough to type themselves, we'll let them do that and we'll follow their lead. But until then we're kind of operating with these, you know, these guesses that, you know, we're pretty sure we're right, but <laughs> we, we could, you know, that we can't see inside what's going on. So we could be, we definitely could be wrong. Um, but we don't, we don't put the tool on them. Like we don't talk to them about it. We're not trying to like get them involved in it because they're not ready for it. Um, mm-hmm. but we're both using it for ourselves, both to kind of conceptualize what may be going on for them and like guess and check with how we're parenting or how we're approaching different issues. But for me, one of the big things is that like, yes, you can use the Enneagram to kind of manage other people, Um, you know, say like, oh, well, it's likely that she's a nine and she's probably an eight or a three. Um, So we're gonna, we're gonna do this for this kid and this for the other kid. Um, or we're going to do this for this person or this, like, it doesn't have to be your kids. It could be at work. It could be in other relationships and friendships. Um, and that's, that's fine. There's like not anything wrong with that, but I think there's so much more traction, um, and so much more work to be done when, when we're really, really focusing the tool on ourselves, like, what am I doing? How am I showing up in these relationships? And not how can I manipulate and manage other people through the tool, um, but how can I really restrain and manage myself um, and keep my stuff in check when relating to other people? Um, that's that's really where I feel like the most powerful like relational transformation happens, right? Is like you don't you don't need to know what the other person's type is. If you know your type and you know the tool and you know what to look out for and you're working on it, you're engaged in it, you're working to stay present, you've got the practices that help you develop this, you know, emotion, greater emotional capacity so that you're less reactive, then you can show up differently in these relationships and, and watch how just that changes things, right? Like, you know, I'm always coaching my clients that like, you have the tool you've chosen to take on this journey. You've chosen to do this work. And so whether, whether you like it or not, or whether you want to throw a fit about it or not, which I throw fits about it frequently, um, because you've chosen to do this work, it's your responsibility. Um, the other people in your lives may or may not have chosen to take this journey. If they haven't chosen to take this journey, if they have not chosen to engage in this work, um, then you can't expect them to do the work. And if you want the relationship to be better, sitting around and expecting them to change or expecting them to shift and, and whatever um, is not gonna work. You've chosen this path and it's your responsibility to do your work. And sometimes that looks like for me, being softer, being more accommodating, being more heart-centered, um, none of which are fun for me. Um, but it can also look like setting strong boundaries, right? Like if, you know, it doesn't necessarily, you know, doing your work and being the one who's doing the work in the relationship doesn't mean, um, 
that you're necessarily always making accommodations for the other person. Sometimes it means setting really strong boundaries um, and respecting yourself. That's a big part of um, a lot of types work. Um, and so that's really what I feel like is super important for me to remember when I, especially when I'm engaged in a challenging relationship, um, that like, they, they may not know anything about this, or even if they do know about this, they haven't committed to it in the, at the same level of depth that I have. And so it's my responsibility to always show up and be doing the work regardless of what they do. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's easy when we get into a tough spot with somebody, especially somebody that like, we can't really get out of the tough spot. Uh, it's like, well, they're a, you know, they're a six. And so they just need to do such and such. And then this whole thing would be better. And it's like, okay, that may be true. Um, and you're whatever type you are, you know, I'm an A. So that means actually first I need to mm -hmm. shift the way I'm approaching it. Mm -hmm. And nine times out of 10, just changing the way you approach the relationship or the conflict or whatever it is creates enough space that the other person doesn't feel threatened and doesn't have to respond out of their type, um, or at least not to the same degree. Um, so yeah, that's what, that's, that's how I use it like personally and how I coach my clients in using it. Um, you know, whether it's with somebody who knows the Enneagram, like that's, that's fun. That's so good to like, sit with somebody who can speak this language and like, you know, work through a conflict or a misunderstanding or what have you, um, using this language, it, it moves so much faster. It's so much smoother. People aren't getting their feelings hurt. It's wonderful. I love it. And I don't know, there aren't, there aren't enough of us out there for that to happen all the time. So <laughs> yeah. So true. Thank you for that. Let me shift gears a little bit and let's talk. Let me talk about community. Yeah. So I have a quote here. Late Archbishop Desmond Tutu often spoken of the importance of the community. And he wrote in a quote, my humanity is bound up in yours, but we can only be human together. So why is community vital in your own personal life? And how do you feel community can help all of us feel more whole, mm. more authentically? Yeah. Um, this one, this was a hard learned lesson for me. Um, I'm an eight. Uh, eights are definitely very much... Um, internally oriented, very individually focused. Um, and if it's not like just solely the individual, it's like me and this very small group of people that I want to take care of, right? Like my family, my very, very, like everybody who's gotten through the like- The circle. Yeah, the circle. yeah, the inner circle, it's quite small. Um, and so it was really hard for me to really own and internalize the value of community. Um, and the pandemic actually had a really big part in that. Um, and actually I write about that in the book. Um, but essentially if, I mean, as an eight, the thing that I value most about community is that it is the ultimate reality check. Um, it's really easy to like overestimate the, the work that you're doing on yourself when you're by yourself. Like, oh, look at me go, I'm transforming and I'm changing and I'm growing and I'm this new pretty flower that's blooming. 
um, which that, okay, that may very well be true. Uh, but until you are back in community and working with other people, uh, it's just, you just don't know how, uh, solid that growth really is until, you know, you have to do the hard work of being in relationship with people who are very, very different from you. Um, I love Ram Das has the quote, uh, if you think you're enlightened, go spend a week with your family. Yeah. <laughs> and I love my family dearly. Right. But it, you know, whether it's family or it's another kind of community, like it's very easy to, to see like, okay, if I'm just by myself, yeah, I feel fine. But, but the growth doesn't really show up and doesn't solidify in us until we really put it to work with other people. Um, and you know, this whole idea of like our, our liberation being bound up with each other, it's like, one person uh, becoming enlightened in a vacuum does nothing, right? Like that only serves yourself. Mm -hmm. And right, like the whole problem with our type is that it is only self-serving, right? It is this slightly maladapted set of coping strategies, right? That were designed to help us survive, right? Sur survive things that we thought were too much. Okay, cool. It's, it's really focused on an individual situation. And so if we're going to be really um, moved out of that way of thinking, feeling, and acting in the world, we have to be engaged in community and and find find meaning and purpose and growth outside of our individual experience. Um, you know, we are very limited creatures, right? And so, you know, we talk about in the Enneagram, yeah, we have access to all nine energies around the circle. And that's that's true to an extent. Like there is a little bit, a sprinkling of that, you know, throughout okay, cool. Like you have a little bit of access to this and to that. Um, but, but if we really want to experience the, um, the value, the, the power, the transformative aspects of these other nine types, these other nine energies, if we really want to experience the gifts of those, we have to be in relationship with those people. Um, and I mean, truly, we can't, we're, humans are, we're a, we're a collective, a communal species. We can't do anything on our own. You know, and I like to, I like to highlight things like, you know, you're all sitting on a chair. Like, do you know how to make furniture? Some mm -hmm. of you do. Most of you don't, right? So, okay, take away all the furniture in your house. And I'm not talking about just putting together Ikea stuff. I mean, like, do you know how to cut the wood? Do you know how to upholster things, right? Like, you know, we're very connected technologically. Like, do you know how these things work? No, you're relying on someone else mm -hmm. to bring this gift to you. You're actually relying on hundreds of thousands of people to bring these gifts to you every single day. Um, in my spiritual community, when we eat together, we, we talk about the, the 77 hands that have brought the food to us, right? So 
from seed to planting to harvest to transport to preparation right there is this long string of people that are supporting us and in turn we are supporting them if if we're doing this right right if we're if we're actively engaged in community if we are to speak more yogically if we're aligned with our dharma and our place in the world um then we're also supporting other people and that that should be our intention because we can't we can't have any of this we can't have a life without this communal experience um and so it's a, it's not about just my growth it's about the health and development of my family and my community my you know my neighborhood my city my state it, you know and it, it grows um, and so community is right. It's where not only we can really try on the work that we've been doing, right? Like, is this working? Is this sticking? Is this changing? Is this growing me in the right direction? Um, or is it making me more self-involved? Is it making me more reactive? Is it making me more righteously angry and stubborn, right? Like, we see people on quote unquote spiritual paths who go in that direction. Right. And it's because the experience is so much focused on the individual and not on the, on the collective liberation. And so, you know, I think both, I think the Enneagram says more about the collective than yoga does, but we can't do the collective work until we've done the individual work. And so I think these two systems really balance each other well. Um, you know, we do our individual work in order to support the community and the community is here to support us in our individual work. And it's this really beautiful like symbiotic relationship where if we're all showing up and we're all doing our work, we're all going to be, um, we're all gonna be better for it. You know, not just, in a, you know, a, a one plus one equals two way, but in an exponential way. Um, you know, when I'm doing my work by myself is one thing, it's great. But when I'm doing it in a community of people who are doing it together, um, we're all experiencing more growth, more development, more transformation, more power, all of these things um, exponentially more so than we did when we were doing it by ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that came up for me when I read your book is that I feel like I am pretty good with connecting to lineage and pretty good at practice. I mean, I have a daily yoga practice and that that's something I'm committed to. But right now in my life, I'm not great at community yeah. like that, if I'm, if I'm honest and, and I needed reading your book for that reason because <laughs> it was like no I really I hated writing it it was awful <laughs> it was good it was it convicted me it reminded me oh I need to come back to community I think you mentioned the pandemic earlier one of the things that I think helped or I hated pulling away from community was the pandemic the other thing is I'm an Enneagram too and I have really done a deep dive into community and past setting boundaries and ended up with compassion fatigue and ended up just drained by community even even having a lot of health systems because I was overcoming 
So I kind of did that work of the Enneagram two and went to my four and started practicing self-care and, you know, setting boundaries with community to the extent that I'm a bit of an island right now between the pandemic and between, you know, doing that individual work that you talked about. But I do know, um, and I, I know this more from reading your book, that, that I do need to come back to community. Not that I don't have communities. I have yoga community and I have a spiritual community as well. Um, and that I'm not as invested in those as I have been in the past. So um, I think finding, finding that sweet spot can be hard. <laughs> but yeah. I do know that I need to become more invested in community. And I really appreciated that part of the book. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And, um, and we have a quote from... Uh, your book for all nine numbers. And then we're going to ask you a question about, you know, what does community look like for each one of these numbers? And so, um, I think we're going to start with your number, if that's okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the Enneagram 8. Um, and so one of the things that you say in the book, and again, the name of the book is The Conscious Enneagram, it can be hard for eights to move out of the protector role in community. And one main factor is that many in the community like feeling protected. I love that. I imagine that this can keep eights in a power over instead of a power with dynamic. Um, and so if they stay in the role of protector or authority figure, then they are not cared for they're going to be strong and be that protector tell us a little bit about how community can benefit eight and what it looks like when they are allowing themselves to experience it um, but also what do eights offer community mm. yeah you know i do think eights without a lot of like conscious intention do tend to um, substitute being in community for leading or facilitating a community. Um, it's important to remember that if you are the leader, if you are the facilitator, um, because of your role, you are not in that community. Uh, mm -hmm. The role of protector, leader, facilitator, it disconnects you. Um, especially the way that our culture sets up the hierarchies of different communities. You have to be very, very intentional to find a community where you can both facilitate and truly be a part of. Um, this was a big thing for me because I was always like, well, if I want a community, I want it to look like this and this and this. So I'll just make it and then people can show up, right? Like there's a lot of control issues, right? Which stem from a fear of being really seen. Um, and so I think eights in community, um, it's hard. It's hard to show up and actually be there and not want to be in charge. Um, and, and that for eights sometimes looks like not only just like not showing up to lead or not creating the community themselves, um, but even actively saying no when other people say, oh, well, you should do this right? Like that's a really common experience for eights. Like, oh, well, you should be a leader. You should do this because you have the energy and you have the thing, you know, what have you. Um, 
similar for, for threes and sometimes even sevens, right? This assertive energy, people want to put that out in front. Um, and so I think it's a lot of hard work for eights to um, let go of the sense of control um, and allow themselves to really be in and be with other people. Um, but, but when you can do that, right, when you can allow yourself to slow down enough to really be with people, even though that's terrifying, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that's actually where you start to experience the things that you're actually really wanting out of life, right? The, the fullness, the, the, the joy, the intensity, the, you know, eights have this lust for life. Um, and when they can slow down enough to really be in connection, they find this really potent and powerful way to live life, like in connection and in a heart space with other people. Um, you know, there's that saying, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Um, eights have almost always opted for the go fast. Um, and sometimes they can get pretty far too. I mean, like eights have a lot of energy, um, but this connection with other people allows them to go a lot farther um, and to be supported and to experience love, right? Because they've slowed down enough. There's always that question for eights, would you rather be loved or feared? Eights are always like feared, like, uh, yeah, like I'm going to rule with an iron fist and that sort of thing. Um, and even if, even if they don't say that like explicitly, somewhere deep down, they're thinking it, they're like, oh yeah, well, I want to be loved, but I'm going to do all of these things so that people are afraid of me. I'm going to rule this certain way. I'm going to lead the community in this direction. Um, and so it can, it can be a hard transition into the heart space. Um, but being in community is really where eights can experience that, that love and care from other people. Um, and it's also where they're going to be hurt. Um, but through that hurt, they can find that they are resourced enough to move through that, right? Like other people mistreating them is not a reflection of who they are. And the same is true for all nine types, right? Community always gives us exactly what we want and exactly what we fear. Um, and both of those are gifts. And, and I think as far as what eights offer the community, um, I mean, eights are natural leaders and, and they do have this protective energy. Um, and as long as it's not becoming too one-sided, that's a really valuable gift. Eights have a lot of foresight and um, eights really know how to rally people around a cause or an idea um, and really truly inspire people. And I think that communities need that. They need that kind of um, core kind of fire that eights can really bring. Um, And as long as the eight can move into their heart space enough to allow the relationships to be reciprocal and the community can reciprocate. Uh, it, it ends up being a really beautiful, a really beautiful um, connection. So guys, that was just part one of our interview with Abby. So we've got more to come, but that was a great start, wasn't it? Looking at the power of community for type eight. So we'll definitely have more to share about how community can enrich the life of all nine types. But also after this 
quick little plug from our sponsor. Stay tuned for a short meditation. And thanks again for listening and joining us today. For our meditation today, let's start with a breath, breathing in from the belly button all the way up to the top of our chest. And then exhale through the mouth, sending the breath back down towards the belly button. And ask yourself, is there somewhere that you need to soften? And if there's somewhere that you need to soften in your heart space, in your body, in your mind see if you can do that and then I'm going to share a prayer as you breathe as you continue breathing in through your nose and out through your mouth and you don't have to be a religious person to receive this prayer very inclusive and I think all of you will find it meaningful but again staying with that rhythm of the breath blessed are you who become change in the world blessed are you who realize you cannot always be responsible blessed are you who care for the needs of others blessed are you who acknowledge your own needs Blessed are you who know the art of efficiency and doing. Blessed are you who learn the art of being and rest. Blessed are you who feel the pain of life deeply. Blessed are you who learn to savor the goodness of life. Blessed are you who observe with your mind and seek wisdom. Blessed are you who learn the intelligence of the body and heart. Blessed are you who are careful and cautious. Blessed are you who have the audacity of faith, courage, and hope. Blessed are you who love movement, play, and adventure. Blessed are you who can be still and enter the present moment. Blessed are you who are strong and fierce. Blessed are you who are soft and vulnerable. Blessed are you who are adaptable and peace-loving. Blessed are you who engage in conflict and know how to speak your voice. Blessed be the one who holds you, loves you, sees you and invites you to grow in the image of God. Amen. Finding a breath in and a breath out. One more deep breath in and a big breath out. Know that the light in me sees and honors the light in all nine numbers and the light in you. Namaste.